This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 142 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Bridget Crew with Scott McLaughlin. Brian is working um, at his other job because it's, you know, a Monday morning and he had more important big boy stuff to do, I guess. Um, and we have two full games to cover. We have the Arizona game and the Vegas game that we'll get into. But Scott, it already feels like that Arizona game was like a week ago. It already feels like it's in the back of your mind because it just was such an enigma, like losing with like 13 seconds left to go. It just feels like a game. You're like, okay, we're tossing that out. Like just forget about that one. Yeah. Well, that game was always like the, the ugly stepchild of this great run that the Bruins have of facing, you know, all these other like Stanley cup contenders. And then it's like, Oh, and there's also a random game in, in Arizona in there. And by the way, it's in a college rink that holds 5,000 people. And you're going to get to hear some of the Arizona broadcasts bleed into Nesson's broadcast. Like, everything about it was just like... And and I, by the way, like I don't think it was Nesson's fault. I think because they, they were... This was the first game in Arizona in like a month. The Coyotes have been on the road because they were doing more renovations and updating and whatever to Mullet Arena. So I think... Uh, Oh, yeah. And by the way, it's called Mullet Arena. Yes, it is. So I think like this was Nesson was kind of the first one in there and there's just some sort of audio issue with the the studios there or whatever. All sorts of audio issues. Yeah, yeah. Not not good. As a broadcaster, like even doing college stuff, I've never run into as many technical audio issues as they ran into in that arena for whatever reason like sophia's mic like just what like the audio wasn't on at one point and you could fully clearly hear the other broadcast behind them and i don't know how close they're together but like even when i've been packed in next to other people you couldn't hear the broadcast like the the other people broadcasting over us so uh it was a whole it, it was all just messed up yeah it, it just wasn't a good broadcast um and i felt bad because at some point in time like i heard like brick when i was supposed to hear sophia like talking to he was talking to the producers and i was like oh my god i i've been on a lot of games but i don't know if i've ever had that many issues happen and you you do feel like it was just out of their control most of it um and the fact that we we also have colleagues that went um as reporters and they were they were sat they couldn't even see the game like Pluto tweeted out a picture of just being like behind some tall guys and just not being able to see the ice whatsoever yeah it looked like uh it reminded me of um doing covering games up at Alfond Arena uh, mm-hmm. and you're which is means you mean yeah so like the the broadcast booths at alfonda are 
fine, I believe. But like there's carry this kind of like a auxiliary press box on the other side of the rink. And when I was a student reporter at BU, like that's where we got sat. And the only reason you were able to see over fans at all is that they put you on a bar stool. So like you're it's like you're like at a bar, you know, covering the game, writing your story. But like that's what it reminded me of. It that's what it looked like based on the photos that like Fluto and Dupes tweeted out. It was like, yeah, it's like you gotta stand up and try to, you know, move your head around to see over fans. Um it sounds anyway, like so, a disaster so, of, of it. Like we were we were saying last episode, like, oh, this would have been a great road trip to go on. But like I'm imagining us getting all the way to Arizona and me like not being able to see and just being so pissed yeah. off. I would well, have been so pissed. I would have been like, Scott, get on your shoulders. Well, you could have jumped into the, you if you're that mad, you could have jumped into the fight that took place in the stands because oh, by the way, that that happened too. There was a big fight between Bruins and Coyotes fans and uh, a security guard ended up leaping over like four rows of people to, to get in the middle of it. So just pure chaos, which, which I think is what, what you expected from a, a, an NHL game in a college arena. And in uh, just a bizarre game, Bruins totally dominate. They outshoot Arizona 46 to 16 and lose and lose on, on a terrible non icing call where it clearly should have been icing. And, the linesman waves it off at literally the last second. Like the puck had already crossed the goal line and then he waves it off, which, which right off the bat, like you're not supposed to do that. And secondly, there was no reason to wave it off. It, it was icing. And like people were saying, or like assuming that it was because it went through part of the crease, but that's not a rule anymore. It hasn't been a rule in like 20 years. That's what um, that, I think it just was. Everyone was, was trying to be like, did he, how could he possibly have like thought that was uh, not icing? Like it has to hit the goalie and it did not hit uh, Swayman at all. But that was the only explanation people could come up with where they're like, is this a rule like that? I didn't realize came back. Like I, people were just so confused. They were, yeah. had to look it up. And then when you did look it up, it was like, no, okay. That really just was icing and just an unfortunate thing to happen and then like obviously Forbert's confused thinks it's going to be icing touches the puck waits a second all of a sudden turns it over puck ends up in the back of the net um I'm good on Arizona for just capitalizing but the Bruins were all just sitting still because they obviously thought that the play was over puck's going on the other end of the ice um or and probably that this game's going to overtime I'm sitting there expecting overtime as well so um just bizarre stupid and you're almost not even mad. You're like, okay, I was mad for like 10 seconds about how dumb this was. But like at the end of the day, you're like, it kind of kind of adds up for this game. This game was all sorts of weird. And yeah, it was just a mess. Yeah. And, you know, I think not that like I would blame Swayman for, but he definitely wasn't at his best. Uh, Arizona's goalie, Carol Vimelka was. He was really good. Um, so you know, you, you can kind of just write that one off as long as you bounce back. And the Bruins did Sunday night in Vegas um, game tied one, one through two periods, you know, another pretty good game between these, or actually I would say most of the first period wasn't a very good game. It was kind of a boring first period, but things picked up, got a little bit crispy and you get to the third tied one, one. And just as they've been all season, Bruins really good third period team score twice to, to put the game away 
And so you come out of this road trip with two out of three wins. The the one loss is the one you wouldn't have expected, the Arizona no. <laughs> game. But, you know, it, I'll come back to something I said the last podcast, which is like, it's just unfortunate that you didn't you didn't get Colorado at anything close to 100%. And, and in fact, you, you know, you get them down four of the top five forwards. And then you don't get Vegas again, second time in a week. You don't get them at 100% because it's still no Petrangelo. Eichel actually came back for a game, but then was out again. So it seems like, you know, there's still, he's dealing with something that needs to be managed and isn't quite back to, to playing every night yet. Um, no Shea Theodore as well. So it's like, okay, well, Vegas is down the number one center and their top two defensemen. So you're just not, you know, we made like a lot of this whole stretch for a while about how this was when they were finally going to get tested. And I still think they, they were to an extent, like they got Tampa twice at basically full strength. They got Carolina at close to full strength. Um, You know, Florida, I don't, I'm trying to think, I don't think was really missing any of their stars, but no, Florida right now isn't even in like not even yeah. in a wild card spot. They're like not even in right. the playoffs as of right now. Yeah. So I, I still think you were tested, but having, you know, four games against Colorado and Vegas and not facing their best lineups in, in any of them is it's just kind of a bummer because I think, you know, certainly we want to see that in, in the media, but I think I think fans probably did too. Like, yeah, it's great to keep winning, but you, you want to see the Bruins against the best. Like you, you want to, you know, be able to come away and, and think like, all right, they're, I don't think there's anything fluky about their start anyways. Like I, you know, I can say that confidently regardless, but um, you would really feel like even better about it. Had you beaten a full strength avalanche or a full strength Vegas. Yeah. If you, if you beat a full strength avalanche team or, or at least you have like, a decent game against them you're like starting to imagine like what a playoff series would actually look like if that's the the final like you're like okay well now I can kind of see how the Bruins would match up if they go and they do end up meeting at the at the end of everything for the Stanley Cup I didn't really get a good sense of what that kind of a matchup would look like before like before we like kind of throw out like move on past the Arizona game I just wanted to make one last bring up one last thing about that last 15 seconds of the game and the no icing. And it's something we, we were talking about before we started recording, which was like, why, why can't you just review that? Like we, we were mentioning that back when this happened to the, it reminded me of back when this happened to the Bruins, when a puck got chipped up into the netting, Rass saw it go into the netting. Everybody saw it go into the netting. Puck comes back down. Nobody blew the whistle. And then, the Bruins yeah. got scored on. Yeah, so, 2019 like now, against Columbus. Yeah, yeah in the playoffs. And, yeah. na- and now you can review that. So wh- why don't they make it more of an overarching rule? I know they made it just about puck out of play. But, like, it should be a little bit more overarching where you have the ability to challenge something like this where it's obviously not an icing. They got it wrong. It turns out to be a goal in the back of your net. Like, um, maybe just that needs to be a change. I've never seen this play happen before. Maybe it won't happen again. Like, but it felt like one of those things where like, why couldn't you just review this? This is an easy review. Yeah. You should be able to, because you can challenge like other game stoppage issues 
too. In addition to puck out of play, you can also look at high stick, puck being played with a high stick, and you can look at hand passes. So, yeah, you should be able to review um, icing or no icing if it leads directly to a goal, which in this case, it obviously did. The puck's in the back of the net, you know, what, a second later, a second, second and a half later. I mean, you can um, review offside, which happens like, Sometimes right. it happens like 20 seconds before the puck's in the back of the net. <laughs> Never mind like this, which was like a two-second turnaround. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm an advocate for like if you're going to have reviews, then make everything reviewable. Like, you know, obviously you don't want a million cha- like challenges a game. But if you're, if you're going to have it and you're going to allow coaches to challenge stuff, then make it everything. Like, I don't understand why why icing wouldn't be part of it. And I get like, eventually you could get into gray areas of like, okay, are you also going to review penalties? You know, was there a hooking before this goal? Like I get that eventually you have to kind of draw a line, but to me, icing is pretty, I understand there's some, you know, officiating judgment that goes into it, but for the most part, it's pretty cut and dried. And like, this is one now, where who, it was, who beat the it was right, clearly like, icing. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's not that hard. It's not super objective. Like it's just, it's not super subjective. I should say Um, it, it's easy to just know uh, that that was an icing. It was clear as day. And then, and then, so then that happens and you're like, well, it's over because that's, you know, 13 seconds left. No, you can't review it. Okay. Well, well, it's over then, even though you, you look at the shots and you're like, okay, well, 46 to 16, something's a little bit off about the fact that they're about to lose to the Coyotes having outshot them by 30 shots. Um, it was just, just a weird one. And I was, I was in Connecticut watching it on my phone because I couldn't get the game except for like streaming it. And I was just like in my bed. Cause it was late by the time this game got over, it was late. <laughs> Uh, because all of their West Coast games and I'm I'm sitting there watching hockey till like midnight and I'm just like, I'm really tired and this was really weird and I'm just going to go to bed. Yeah. And another reason why we didn't record right after that one. But I mean, now we're now we're we're past that. Um, there were some changes in the lineup from that game into uh, Sunday's game against Vegas and Krejci was not in Sunday's game. Um, ha- is there been any update on him? Um, so my, Jim Montgomery said before the game Sunday that he's day-to-day, it's not serious, and their expectation is that he'll be back for Tuesday's game. Uh, not guaranteed yet, but yeah, it sounds like very minor, but he just wasn't – because he, he got hurt in that Arizona game and, you know um, – came off briefly, but then returned. And obviously he was dealing with something that just didn't quite fully recover in time for Sunday night. Like Montgomery made a reference to, you know, older players tend to need a little bit, a little bit extra time to recover. So, you know, wow. Wow. What a dig. A 26 year old probably recovers in, in the two days before Sunday night and a 36 year old, you know, you, you need an extra day. So, um, as, as someone my boss said that to me I'd, oh my god scott if you said that oh man i'd have to punch you well that's <laughs> like, like i need like a little extra time to recover between podcasts now because you know i'm starting i'm starting to get into my mid-30s so yeah, yeah it's I, I understand 
So anyway, they they have to switch things up. They go with Zaka centering. They, they move the perfection line back together um, as the first line. And then they throw Zaka in Krejci's spot as the second line center with Hall and DeBrusque. Um, yeah, and that but they didn't I, start that. I think they, they started with yeah, they DeBrusque in the up first in the, line. In the second period, it was yeah. all – it was – Majority of the game, this is what it was like. Um, after the first period, they switched things up to the perfection line and then DeBrusque, Hall, and Zaka. Um, and that line looked really decent. Um, Zaka and DeBrusque actually had had some connections on passes. That That's the, the DeBrusque goal comes off of a Zaka saucer pass that somehow sat at the perfect time for DeBrusque to put in um, at the end of the game. And so... Uh, they, they, I thought they looked good together and hall. When you put hall on that line as well, um, he was able to dig some pucks off of the wall and, and get, get pucks like entered into the zone pretty easily. And I just thought they all looked like a very, um, cohesive line together, which I wasn't expecting. Honestly, I was like, this is kind of just seems like a jumble of guys that, I mean, hall and DeBrusque very rarely play on the same line together. Um, Zaka is not usually with either of those guys, like, and, and so it's just, it was, it was like the first time we were seeing something like that and it worked. Yeah. I think they had like a very little bit of time together or at least a little bit of time together. Um, early this season, like in a similar situation where, you know, Krejci missed those few games, um, with whatever, you know, core injury or middle body or whatever it was. And, uh, I think it was something similar to this where like they started with Pasanak on that line, DeBrusque with the top line, but then like switched at some point. And I think they, like, I think they did pretty well then as well. So I'm sure that was in the back of Montgomery's mind where it was like, well, you know, those three kind of flashed together for that little bit of time that, that he put them together before. So I'm sure he wasn't going to hesitate to go to that if he felt the need to. And, um, you know, like like I mentioned earlier, that first period was uh, it was pretty boring to watch, and they really weren't generating much in terms of offense from any line. You know, I didn't think I don't necessarily think that like any of the lines were playing terribly, but they just weren't doing a whole lot. Like there just wasn't much happening either way when when you know when anyone was on the ice. Um, so you you try to jumpstart something, and obviously go into the perfection line is, e- is an easy way to do that. At least you, you expect that one line to, to get going offensively. But in this case, like, like you said, the, the Hall, Zach and DeBrusque line uh, seemed to spark them as well. Like, they, you know, they, when those three are, are skating and they're aggressive, like a lot of good things can happen there because I do think they seem to complement each other pretty well. And, um, that goal is just a great example. Like it's a great play by Hall to first make the pass to Zaka, and then Zaka just to flutter that pass right over. I think was it Alec Martinez, the defenseman who went who went down, who was sliding, just kind of sauces the pass right over him. Um, I tweeted this out last night. Zaka leads the team in five on five assists. He now has twelve, and um, second place is a tie between Pasanak and Hall with nine, and it's. I mean, it's not yeah. even like it's close, but it's not that close. It's not like they're like right there with twelve. Like they're still right. three behind. Right, and and it's you know it's a credit to Zagu has been such a good fit for this team early on, especially with his versatility. Like 
You put him on the third line, he helps there. You put him on the second line, you know, I think he works with Krejci and Pasternak. Center, either wing he's played, like, he just seems to, which is, I think is exactly what they had in mind when they got him, was like, ideally, he's sort of a Swiss Army Knife type player where you can put him anywhere in your top nine and and he fits and he, and he compliments his line mates, like, He's he's never going to be the star of any line that he's on you know, in in the Bruins top nine. But I think his game like I think he can compliment just about anyone. And um, and we've seen that whether he's been at wing or at center, um, you know, I think he just had, like if he, he just has like a high hockey, hockey IQ, he just makes smart plays and. Yeah, he's you never know, like not, the one that you're like, oh, that was a really horrible turnover by Pavel Zaka, and now it's coming back the other way. Yeah, they, like he had a couple mistakes, especially early in the season. There were a couple times where I was like, yeah. ah, he, you know, whatever. Whether it was you know a breakout pass or just being in the wrong position. Um, but yeah, for the most part, he's he's been pretty clean, and it's you know, talk about like swapping him for Eric Halla, and it's. You know, I don't want to like bash Hall because he had a pretty solid season last year, all things considered. But Hall was successful when he was playing between Hall and Pasternak. And, but when you moved him around, when he was, you know, on the third or fourth line earlier in the year or when he was on the wing, he wasn't as successful. Like he didn't, I think they had wanted Hall to be one of those like Swiss Army knife type players. And, and he really wasn't. Like he kind of needed to be one specific spot to, succeed and that was centering two very talented wingers whereas Zaka seems much like a much better fit to just compliment whoever he plays with to kind of move wherever and yeah like I'm sure he would like to be settled into one spot and you know it seemed like he had that going with Krejci and Pasenak for a little bit where it was a little bit of a longer run playing with those guys and you know um, they'll probably go back to that once Krejci's back which could be as early as Tuesday. So that continuity is good for him, but it's it's a luxury for Jim Montgomery to have to to know that basically wherever he needs to plug a hole, he can put Zach in there. Yeah, and, and the stat that you tweeted out about the the most assists, the 12 assists, five on five, shows you that when he is actually on the ice, because he doesn't get he's on the second power play unit, but like if you think about the way that 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 unit gets less time and and a lot of the time when people when when the pucks getting distributed it's really like you know Taylor Hall who's shooting on that line or um Krejci or whomever when we're talking about the second second power play unit so he doesn't have many stats on the power play but he when he's out there 5 on 5 he's making a difference and that's really like when he's getting a majority of his playing time anyway so um that's I'm it's an interesting stat I didn't realize um but it's it helps like kind of demonstrate that fact that when he's out there five on five he's um been able to impact the game even though he's kind of one of those guys you go through the game you're like oh I remember like three plays from him like sometimes you don't really remember all that much that he did um to your point about him having a high hockey IQ he's he's a good 200 foot player and and when we first talked to him when he was first added Scott you were you were out in the UK. Um, so I was on all those press conferences and he, someone asked him like, Oh, whose game, like, do you compare yourself to? Or like, who did you grow up 
um, you know, trying to emulate. And he said Patrice Bergeron. And the funny thing is that like Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci were the players that he was looking to like model his game after. And then you see like the 200 foot player. And sometimes he makes those passes that you're like, okay, Krejci makes a pass like that every once in a while. Um, so you kind of get that combo of, of guys in him. Obviously he's, no Bergeron and no Krejci, but he kind of has a little bit of those styles of play um, to him. He's also he can be a dangerous shooter. He's a good shot, but um, he doesn't seem to use it as much. Um, and I, I was mentioning this to my dad yesterday, which was well during the game, which was that when you see him have games like he had against Vegas, and when you when you kind of put the stats together and you see what kind of a season he's having you remember like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And this is his trial run. And this is like him proving like, okay, well, I could do this for you down the road. Like when, if Bergeron retires, I could play center. If Krejci retires, I, I could play, you know, I could play where Krejci plays. And, and it's not going to be that, that huge drop off to the point where you're like, okay, we got to rebuild. Like he could provide some sort of a bridge if they're, and in, in, interested in extending him. Um, and also if he doesn't want to go to free agency and see who else wants him. So um, it's just another interesting like wrinkle in the conversation about him is like, you could see how he would fit into your long-term plans and help you not have to be a team that went full rebuild. If you just wanted to get him in there, see how he looked at center. Cause you already have him in your system, but you still only have him on this one year deal. Yeah, like, you know, I don't think anyone would expect him to be the future number one center. But, you know, assuming you keep Pasternak and, you know, Marshan, DeBrusque Hall, they're all still going to be around. Like, can he be the number two? But, I mean, certainly looks capable of it. Like, we, whether it's been with Hall and Pasternak or with Hall and DeBrusque, like, he's looked good playing in that second line center role. So yeah, you could definitely see that. And, you know, you can see a situation where you plug him in there and it's like, okay, that's at least one of those top two center spots um, where you at least feel comfortable and it's, and see what he does with it. You know, maybe, maybe ultimately he's not quite up to it or maybe he runs with it and kind of has the breakout that I know devil's fans are waiting for. Um, And maybe he's, he's, he to your point is a longer term fit there um that would at least be like one question answered and then obviously you still have the much harder task of finding your number one center but hey like if if you need two of them you'll you'll start with one and then you know then worry about the other one uh when it you get still it already feels like you're in a better situation than you were last season when we're going i have no idea where they're finding another center I mean even last year without Krejci it was like okay our call is probably not your number two center going forward so they're if they can sign him um which seems to be the plan and is what both Zaka and management said was the plan for him was to come in on a one-year deal and to hopefully get an extension done during the season which obviously hasn't happened yet but um that was that was what they said was the plan when they when they added him yeah and and just a couple uh just some some stats corner stuff on him. So you mentioned, you know, he only has three goals so far. He, he'll start scoring more because looking at it, he's shooting 6.5% this year. 
and his career shooting percentage is like 10 and a half percent. So more pucks will start to go in for him. But in the meantime, like we said, he's, he's getting the assists. So, so he's still making stuff happen. Um, and then on that line, the Paul Zaka DeBrusque line. So last night against Vegas, they had just about six minutes together. Uh, Shot attempts were 7-3 Bruins. Shots on goal, 4-2 Bruins. And then the one goal, they weren't on the ice for any goals against. On the season, very small sample size, but they're up to a little over 11 minutes now. So, you know, it must have been like another basically half game or two periods together early, earlier earlier in the year, like I mentioned. Um, and they've outshot opponents 9-3 to and outscored them 3 nothing. So, yeah, like, Again, very small sample, but there does just seem to be chemistry there. And it's another thing where it's just good for, you know, Jim Montgomery's finding a lot of trios that seem to have some pretty good chemistry. And like, that's another one where it's all right. That's when everyone's healthy, that's not going to be a line for you, but it's just really nice to have that on, on the back burner to know that if you have to go to it, you can. Yeah. And, and then like, that reminds you that also the coil trio has been, playing really well together and they they made some changes to that third line as well against Vegas because it started technically was listed as Greer on that line but Felino took a lot of shifts there um Smith there was like a reunion of the Coyle Frederick Smith line that was um saw a lot of ice time together last year so they they were rotating people around Coyle and Frederick on that line um but they kept Frederick and Coyle together and um, intentionally, obviously, because those two have been playing so, so well together um, over the past few games. Yeah. And it ends up being Felino with those two on the third goal to, to put the game away. And it's a great, you know, I, I, the other day, like in, in a tweet and in my story brought up the possibility of calling them the protection line. I don't know. Kind of works <laughs> little, little catchy. Maybe protection. Yeah. But well, like, that's, it, 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 the one that's, change that's how to that, it. Sorry, go ahead. That's how the, the goal starts. It's Felino protecting the puck down low, then Coyle protecting the puck down low, and you know, eventually comes back to Forbert, back to Coyle, and he scores through a screen. Frederick and Felino both right in front of the net setting a screen. Yeah, and so the difference between that line from the Arizona game to um the Vegas game is that obviously you move Hall. So Hall had been that that line of Hall, Coyle, and Frederick had been putting up incredible numbers. Scott, you wrote a whole thing, uh, a whole article about it and, and um, where you had all the stats about how they're literally had the numbers of the best line in hockey. If you only consider like the, the, the sample size that they were together. Um, and so Hall moves off that line and Felino works there too. It just seems like they have guys that can just move around and, and it's a different look, but it's not like, Oh, okay. This person's, slowing that person down like it's not like you're taking away from that line when you're like okay well we're going to throw Felino up there it's like okay no he he's a different style of player than Hall for sure but still effective um especially with two other guys that kind of play a similar way to Felino in that they are aggressive and they you know they're grittier kind of players rather than like a posture knocker like a skilled type player um until it worked and then you move Greer down to the fourth line um with Nosek and Smith for for part of the game I know that that whole bottom six also rotated 
Yeah, I think one trend you're seeing, and certainly that you saw um, Sunday night, is the Bruins don't seem to have guys who like need to be with so and so to produce, and and if they're not with them, their game falls off. Which we've seen at times in the past where it was like if you took DeBrusque away from you know Krejci in, in years past, like he didn't produce. I mentioned. Hollow last year, if you took him away from Holland Pasanaki, you know, even just take like goal production, points production out of it, like he just didn't play well. He just wasn't playing good hockey. And now I think you're seeing guys who move around and continue to play good hockey and play the way they need to play. So it's like, okay, you know, Jake DeBrusque doesn't have to be with Bergeron and Marchand to play good hockey. You put him down on the second line with Zach and Hall, and he still plays good hockey. Uh, you know, I thought he had a really, we like barely touched on, but I thought he had a really strong game last night. Um, Coyle and Frederick don't need to have Hall on their left wing to, to be, to play good hockey, like put Felino there or Smith or Greer and they continue to play the way that they're supposed to play. Um, you know, mentioned Zaka, like, yeah. Okay. Put him with Krejci and Pasta, not great. But when he was on the third line, he continued to play good hockey and it's like, I don't know if that's the Montgomery effect where it's, you know, building up these guys confidence on an individual level in addition to the team level, or if it's just like ever just the good vibes are there for everyone or whatever it is, but you're seeing guys who no matter where they are or where they get moved, continue to play the way that they need to play. And like, that's so, it's just so, so critical to, to the, to their success early on. And I want to like continue that, conversation but to the defense so they they end up going with the pairs yesterday they start out with Lindholm McAvoy um Forbert Clifton Grizzly Carlo as their as their pairs to start the game they did rotate them a little bit Clifton and Forbert I mean not Clifton Carlo and Forbert ended up playing together for chunks of the game at least towards the end um and we had mentioned like not not wanting to put Forbert or Carlo on the same line with Lindholm to slow to slow Lindholm down. Um, so what did you think of the pairs? I my biggest concern, not biggest concern, but one of my concerns was that ever since they took Clifton and Lindholm off the same pair, they were Clif they kind of just nullified Clifton's contributions um and they did have Lindholm and Clifton together for for a portion of that Vegas game as well um yeah that's something that was a good game for Clifton I thought he was playing well he had a great game he was very yeah. physical yeah and I thought he was playing well no matter who he was with I mean him and you know him and Forbert obviously have chemistry and have played well together and I think yeah it's a little different than when he's playing with Lindholm because they're not going to be as much like get up and go type of pairing when they're, when they're together. But what they do together is still like really solid for, for the Bruins as a team. Like they're very strong defensively. And I think Clifton still gets some freedom because Forbort can kind of hang back and be the security blanket. So um, I thought they were together. I, I think Carlo and Grizzly have, continue to be pretty good but yeah i mean again it's because montgomery has made so many switches and 
basically played everyone with everyone to this point, you can get into those in-game situations. And if you feel the need to make some sort of change, he, he can do it and he can feel confident that um, the guys are going to click. So, yeah, there was a little bit of that in Vegas. I think for the most part, he's still... I think he's kind of settled on those three pairs for, you know, for a little bit now. And we'll probably until they give him a reason to like go away from it for a whole game, he'll just continue to ride with that. Lindholm, McAvoy, Grizzly Carlo, and, and Forbert Clifton. And it's, you know, I said, I don't know if it was their last podcast or the one before, but like, to me, those are three really good pairings that seem to be playing pretty well together. So just don't overthink it. And I think for the most part, Montgomery's not other than, um, you know, just some situational switching here and there. Yeah, and and so I, I didn't really have much else to add about the defense from the last two games, but I did want to talk about the goaltending. So we see two different goalies in, in that stretch of time since we last recorded. We see Swayman against uh, Arizona, which you kind of alluded to a little bit, um, his performance, but then we see Allmark in Vegas and he once again, looks like a, a Vesna goalie. Yeah, he does. I mean, 16, one and oh now still leads to the NHL in save percentage and goals against. And in is only growing that gap. He's up to a nine forty one save percentage now. And I think, uh, I believe second place among qualified goalies, I think is Hellebuck at like nine thirty. So he's like 10, he's 11 points clear of the field. Like it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so I actually wrote about Olmark and the Vezina for a call on Monday morning um, on WI.com. And because there had been a little bit of talk, like I'd seen a couple of people kind of getting worked up about this. So December on like early December, so like, I don't know, a week and a half ago, um, both ESPN and The Athletic put out their like awards watch, which they both do basically every month. And ESPN is it's Greg Wyshynski polls um, like PHWA voters, you know, writers and broadcasters. And they had all marked second just behind Ilya Sorokin of the Islanders. But the athletic had all marked fifth. And like people got, some people got worked up about this. He was behind Sorokin, Connor Hellebuck, Carter Hart, and Carol Vimelka. And so the athletics is like entirely stats based and it's, it goes off goals saved above expected, which is a very good stat because it takes into account um, like quality and quantity of shots that a goalie faces, but it shouldn't be an, an end all be all. And by the way, like there, there's also another money puck does goals saved above expected as well. And has a different formula. So it's kind of like worn baseball where there's not even in one single agreed to formula. Um, but even since then, in Allmark's made three starts and has jumped up to third in, in goal saved above expected because he's been awesome his last three starts. He's, I think it was 75 of 77 shots that he stopped. Two wins over Colorado, one over Vegas, like we just touched on. Stopped 30 of 31 um, Sunday night and was really good. There were stretches of that game where Vegas definitely had the better chances. And... Um, Looking at it, yeah, like, like that, uh, like that, that I forget who got out of the box, but the Bruins turned it over at the end of a power play, and then I forget who it was. It might have been, was it Smith? I don't know. Someone got out of the box and went right on goal for 
just a clean breakaway and, and Allmark made an incredible save. Um, so I assume that would be one that like what you're talking about where just sh- shouldn't have made the save did. Um, sorry if I cut you off. Yeah, I know. So I think this might, you might be thinking of the Ben Hutton chance. Um, yes, he had so. one right out of the box. Mark Stone found him and came in on breakaway and yeah, Allmark makes, makes the glove save and Hutton had like a whack at the rebound too, but I think he either, Almar got a piece or he just knocked it wide. Um, but yeah, so like looking at natural static, Vegas had 3.12 expected goals Sunday night and Almar obviously gave up one. So like right there, two, two goals saved above expected, which when you're talking about the league leaders being at like 18 to 20 for the season, like to have two goals saved above expected in the game is is a terrific outing. He, he, he was awesome. By the way, that like I assume they go off that stat because that that's in order to like account for the fact that some teams have a so, some goalies have a better team playing out in front of them, better defensively right. team. So like the Bruins, the reason why he's not getting credit up at the top towards those stats is because the Bruins actually have a sound defensive structure in front of him. So I guess it's basically like okay, the do you hang your goalie out to dry? stat kind of like he's not expecting right, which, to make the save which like obviously a team like arizona does like we had men- i had mentioned vimelka on um you know one of our recent podcasts and you-, you saw that like friday night like if you look at okay who had the tougher job vimelka or the bruins goalie like obviously vimelka faced 46 shots like and yeah he gives up three goals and if you just look at like the raw stats i think he has like a 913 save percentage on the year so it's like well, that doesn't even come close to comparing to Allmark. But if you take into account like, the teams in front of them, it obviously evens things out a bit. Now, like I still think Allmark's having a better season, so um, because it works both ways, right? Like obviously, the Bruins are a good defensive team, and that helps Allmark, but he's also helped them a ton. Like it's not, it's not like he doesn't get any credit. It's not like you can't, you can't just put any goalie back there and they're going to be fine. I mean, heck, like we see, there's a reason that Swayman hasn't been as good as Allmark this year. And like, you can, you know, you can criticize Swayman if you want, but like, that's also just a credit to Allmark because it's not, it's not so easy that you can just plug any goalie back there and they're going to put up the numbers. He is no, he's putting up the numbers. He is because he's having a great season, no matter what defense is in front of him. Basically, if the season ended today, if this, you know, stats freeze them the way that they are. um, And we're talking about, okay, who gets the Vesna? If it's not Allmark, then something is incredibly wrong with with how they evaluate it. Like, if it's not all mark, if we're talking about like this as the snapshot, this is the stats. All things considered, I feel like that's a major snub. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's very fair arguments to be made for for both Sorokin and Connor Hellebuck, and in particular, I mean, Winnipeg now has the best record in in the West. They've actually moved ahead of Vegas. And Hellebuck is a huge reason why. Like, he's been awesome. Um, Islanders would not even be close to the playoffs if it weren't for Sorokin. Right now, they're, they're hanging the on to one of the wild card spots. But, like, he's easily the biggest reason why. Because they they have not been playing great hockey as a team. But he's been awesome. So, like, there's arguments for them. I would probably have Allmark number one. Um I could definitely see an argument for Hellebuck though, because he's also played a lot more minutes. Like he's, you know, 
the Bruins, Allmark was playing like those elite, like number one workhorse minutes early on. And part of that was because obviously Swayman was hurt for a stretch there. But, you know, since Swayman came back, they've basically been splitting. That sucks though. Like that's like his circumstance is different. He does like, wouldn't want to change that. Like, obviously it's much preferred to be on a team where you don't have to like play every night and you have a goal, a backup goalie that can, can take time. And it's just so much more ideal for a team to be able to trust two guys and, and go back and forth. So like, to me that it's about like what Allmark looks like when he's playing, not the fact that he like, you know, has a little bit of a rest here and there. Cause the Swayman, like if we're talking about just what we see on the ice, um, he's playing like the best goalie. Yeah, I mean, there is a, there's definitely value, though. And, like, if we get to the end of the season and Hellebuck's made, I don't know, 15 more starts, like, that's a factor. Like, that, you can't ignore that. I mean, that's that's 15 more games that he's brought value on the ice. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll see. But at, right now, no no question, Allmark is very much a serious Vezina candidate. And, you know... Like I said, I I would probably lean towards him being number one. I don't I don't think it's quite a slam dunk, but because like I said, I I have a ton of respect for what Hellebuck and Sorokin are doing, and think like the arguments for them are legitimate. But um, yeah, I mean, Allmark's right there, and like especially if we get a stretch where he starts to play more games again, and and let's remember, Allmark was just a little banged up himself too, so some of this. 50 50 split recently might just be all right let's you know ease him back in a little bit like make sure he's 100 percent, and then i could see them starting at some point to ride him you know two out of every three or or whatever um they again, do whatever espe- especially if swayman does. like if swayman doesn't find a little more consistency because he's swayman's kind of been like two on one off like i said like Friday night in Arizona, not all his fault, but he definitely wasn't close to his best either. Yeah. It's been interesting following him throughout the season. And I've had people come up to me just in like passing conversations and being like, Swayman's not the guy. I'm like, well, also I feel like you're seeing it in comparison to Allmark and you're like, okay, well that's the guy. Like it's not, it's, it's clearly one, a one B or even, one and two now because we used to consider it more as like a one a one b situation um but yeah it, i i don't think he's a bad goalie i don't think you can't trust him on on certain nights it's just yeah he hasn't found it the way that he has in the past um and you can see that in the you know the the records that each of them have because Olmark is only um was only in net for one of the losses and swayman was in net for three i mean i that's still not bad, but still he Swayman's five three and zero, which is very different yeah. than Allmark, which is sixteen one and zero. Yeah, and I mean Swayman has an eighty eighty. Let's try that one again. <laughs> Swayman has an has an eight eighty seven save percentage, which which is not good. So like I don't want to sugarcoat no. it too much. Like you know, I saw some people saying like send him down to Providence, and it's like no, like they're not doing that. Calm down, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you know, I don't want to totally gloss over. Like, he's had some struggles this year. If you look at, like, Hockey Reference has quality star percentage as a start and as a stat. And um, I forget, like, exactly how they define what a quality start is. It's something about, like, you know, shot 
you have to be like at a certain save percent for the game or or whatever. But he's under forty percent, which isn't good. Like you at least you a good goalie should be like at least fifty five to sixty percent quality start percentage. For 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 reference, Swayman has played. Now he didn't play the full. He started eight games. He's played in ten. That has to do with him coming in for Allmark. Um, and then one of those games he came in for Allmark, and then Allmark came back in. But anyway, um, let's just say like so. Allmark technically has 19 games played. Swayman has 10. Allmark's given up 32 goals. Swayman's given up 23. I mean, those are like those are similar enough. And Allmark's played nine more games. So like it, it's not like it, the, Swayman's goals against average is a whole goal higher than than Allmark's is. He's at two two eighty goals against average. Allmark is one seventy seven. So um, those stats also show the difference. Yeah, and it's it's a new challenge for Swayman because he's, you know, he's got to like if they do start to ride Elmar a little more, he's got to figure out how to be effective as in like a true backup role or number two role. Um, obviously, you know, last year it was basically a f- even fifty fifty split most of the season. You know, and and when Swayman got hot, they did ride him a little more, and then towards the end of the year, rode Elmar a little more, but. Um, you know, he's used to being the number one or at, at worst splitting starts. So we'll he's see, you know, to, I know... Like in, in college, he's used to being like hella buck, like where he, yeah, he's kind of get, he played for Maine. He, he would get hung out to dry and make incredible saves and, um, you know, end up being a Mike Richter award winner, um, his last season at Maine. So he would, he's used to being the guy that's in net and saving your ass because, you know, your, your defense maybe isn't the best. Yeah, so he seems to be like a rise to the occasion type of guy too, and I feel like the occasion has always this year just been like, okay, the Bruins are gonna win. You know what I mean? Like he's a guy who, for whatever reason, loves shootouts. Um, and like I think he does well in high pressure situations, but I just never has felt this year like there was such high pressure on him. I don't know if he's one of those guys that's like performs better under pressure than just like a regular game. I know that that obviously is no excuse either, but I just kind of get the sense that that's kind of how he is. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have to figure it out. And like, obviously goalie coach Bob Asenza is, you know, a great resource to have, but I mean, the way it's going, like he's probably going to get some lower stakes game. If all Mark's going to get the big ones and, you know, he might go a week between starts and he's going to, have to figure out how to be effective when he does get in there because the only way he's going to start to play more is if he takes advantage when he gets in there. Like you can't, you can't go, you know, a week between starts, then give up four goals on 16 shots like he did Friday night and expect to get in again anytime soon. So, um, you know, I, th- I think he'll be fine. Like, I think he has a good mindset about it. Obviously he's, you know, him and Elmark are so close that like they, they are legitimately happy for each other and celebrate each other's success. It's, there's not like a, you know, like a a fight going on or, you know, anything where very far from it. No. Or like anything where like Swayman's going to be jealous or whatever, but no, um, they're they're bros. I mean, still, yeah, still Swayman in the stat category, best post game hugs. Uh, you can, you can put them in that. That's right. He's winning at Qual- that. Quality hug percentage off the charts. Quality hug percentage at the end of the game. <laughs> but do you want to get to the one, the the question we got? We got an email from a listener, um, which has to do with the fact that we haven't really talked about 
Fabian Lysel um, in a while because at the beginning of the season and, and in our preseason podcast, we talked about, you know, well, maybe with all of the guys that were out at the time, you know, no Marshawn, um, would Fabian Lysel be able to slot in somewhere in the lineup where he would fit? And then we kind of haven't picked up that conversation in a while because um, the Bruins have been relatively healthy and, and especially in the positions that he would be able to come in for and play. Um, so our listener asks, uh, you know, is there any update on Fabian Lysel? Where would he maybe fit? What if they, if they were able to get him in the lineup before the end of the season and, and like, could he fit with the fourth line? Would he be somewhere on the top two lines? Um, because that's more of how he plays. Um, so we'll, we can go into that um, because we haven't touched on him in a while. Um, and we haven't touched too much on what's going on in Providence either. Yeah, because, you know, because it's been best case scenario, which is that exactly the NHL team is so good that you don't have to really pay attention to what's going on in, in Providence. Um, because there's no, there's no need to rush anyone. There's no need to, dip down there to bring someone up and unless there's an injury situation, like, you know, who, who are you looking at being like, ah, get rid of them and, you know, bring up someone from, from Providence. Like I'm sure people, you know, some listeners right now probably going Craig Smith. He's <laughs> like, well, okay, fine. But like Craig Smith's a, a proven NHL and doesn't have a two way contract. <laughs> right. So it's, yeah. So, you know, maybe if you trade him at some point, you, Obviously, you're going to call someone up at that point, but there's no rush to do that. Like, let guys play in Providence. You don't want you don't want to bring up some young player and have him be the 13th forward sitting on level nine every night. Um, that's not good for the development. So, um, you keep Smith for now. You keep that depth for now, and use it until you, you know, until or unless like you have to do something. Um, as far as I sell, uh, he, so he had missed a little bit of time, um, but came back this weekend and I think he'd missed like four games or something, but came back this uh, weekend. Yeah, four games. yeah. And had two goals in his first game back and then another assist on Sunday. Um, and he's, and even though he's played fewer games than, than some of the guys, he's still, he's third on the team in points. He's got 17 points, seven on seven goals and 10 assists. So, um, they don't have like the points per game stat listed on, on their website, at least that I don't see, but he's right up there. And and the, the two guys that are ahead of him are Vinny Letary and Luke Toporowski. Um, but you're not seeing those two guys come up before you're seeing Fabian Lysel. And then actually right below Lysel is Merkelov. So that's, well, I will say Letary, you might like Letary would be, if someone gets injured and they're out, you know, I don't know, a week or two. And like, you just need someone to, either be a 13th forward or plug in to like the third or fourth line at some point, like Letary's actually a good option for that. He's, he's a guy who's played in the NHL, um, you know, has had some decent numbers at times and a guy that you wouldn't be worried about. Like if he has to sit in the press box for a few games, because he's not, you know, he's not okay. a prospect. He's not a guy that like, you're trying to make sure you maximize his development. So well, it, it depends what you want. Like, if you're looking to try to add spark and but on a much higher risk, you go with a 19 year old that's never played in the NHL before. But if you're looking for someone that's like, okay, has some NHL experience, you're going with, 
it depends who you're who you're trying to slot in. But McLaughlin, Letary, Lauco, those are who you're going with, rather than if it seems like a high risk situation to put in Lysel, um, depending on what the, what the stakes are in the game, depending on who it's against, depending on um, if you're even able to, to move them up because you have an injury. So, and then just a reminder that Mike Riley is also down there playing and, um, and Tom Strawman still hasn't, I don't think decided what's going on with him. So no, yeah, he's still kind of just hanging around. Um, I think he was probably hoping that, you know, Bruins might make a move that would allow him to get, you know, get him back on the NHL roster. Like, for like, had they traded Mike Riley or still, if they do trade Mike Riley at some point, they would have the cap space to bring Strawman back to the NHL roster. Um, but obviously that hasn't happened yet. So technically though, what does it count as like, what what is he like he's in limbo like he cleared waivers so he's still with the bruins is it just counted as like personal time like he's just yeah, like I don't know exa- personal time away I don't know exactly hockey? how they yeah i don't know exactly how they classify that but i mean basically like he's he's been assigned to providence but he's not reporting so it, i don't think you know it doesn't affect anything like his cap hit isn't counting against the, the nhl level since he was you know only on a, a one year, $1 million deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the other guys like who could get called up. Obviously we've seen Lauko in the NHL this year. So we know what he can do. We know that Jim Montgomery likes him. Um, you know, he hasn't produced a ton down in province, three goals and an assist. Yeah, in, he has. And I was looking at games. that. Um, and neither have some, you know, neither has Mark McLaughlin or, or Johnny Beecher. Like, mm-hmm. McLaughlin seven points in 24 games Beecher seven and 23 I think even though they're they're not going to be counted on for like a ton of offense if they were to get called up I think you want to see a little more offense from those guys in in the AHL um before you start to I think seriously consider calling them up um Oscar Steen 13 points in 24 games you know I'm not sure if like he's obviously uh he had a pretty disappointing training camp in preseason but seems like maybe he's taking steps where it's kind of working himself back into the good graces of the organization. I um, think that the, the, the Merkulov stats are actually very encouraging. Like we see him as like a very gifted goal scorer. He's got five goals, which isn't bad, but he's got 11 assists. Um, and I just feel like he had a lot of developing to do. Um, and he's somebody that could play center or wing. Uh, and like his development could be, could be interesting to follow as well. Um, he's not doing, he's, he's doing pretty well down in Providence as of right now. 16. Yeah. I, I definitely don't think he's ready to play center no, at the that, NHL level. Cause his, his two way game isn't there. I don't but, think he's ready yet for the NHL, even on the wing necessarily, but no. like, it's nice to see progress and, and growth in his game and, you know, getting acclimated to a more of an NHL type game in the AHL than he was playing in college. Yeah, and he's played a lot of wing in Providence this year. So, like, I think, I think that's probably good because it's very possible that, like, whenever he does crack into the NHL, and I don't really think it's going to be this season, but maybe next year, like, it might be on the wing first. So, that's good to get him comfortable there. Like, learn, learn the two-way wing game first, and then somewhere down the road, maybe bring that back to center. Um, but yeah, I mean just to circle back to Lysel since that's what started this. 
you know, I don't, there's absolutely no rush. And if he spends this entire season down in Providence with, without ever getting called up, I don't think that's a bad thing. One, that means the Bruins have continued to play well, continue to be relatively healthy and don't need, um, you know, to see if like he's ready for a top nine role or whatever. Uh, and secondly, it's just, he's, he's still developing and he's doing that in the HL and being at close to a point per game is very encouraging for a first year AHL player. But, um, you know, if, if that's what this year is for Lysel is just a really strong AHL season spent developing down there, then, that to me is perfectly fine. That's there's no disappointment there. Like, but if you get in, into a situation later in the year where God forbid, there is like a top six injury and maybe it's a little longer term then and like playing well and looks like he might be ready then, then sure you, you give that a shot. But, um, but that would be like in, in that situation where that's a, that's a bad situation to be in. Like seeing like, if you if we do see Lysel, it most likely means some some shit hit the fan and things are like in a desperate situation to just try to find bodies. Well, yeah, I mean it it could just be like one not season ending but like slightly longer term injury. Like say like what like say Pavel Zaka like... gets injured and is out a month. Yeah. Yeah, in in like February or you know early March or something. Like that could be kind of like a good stretch where it's like, you know, whether it's on the first line or the second line or wherever, like get him into kind of a more offensive role and, and see what he does with it. Um, but obviously that, you know, there are other options, like maybe, maybe Craig Smith's playing better by then, or maybe, oh. you know, whatever, like the, it's a good problem to have to just to have the depth um, and to not, feel like you need to rush Fabian Lysel, which they clearly don't. And I feel like when we had the question about, you know, at the beginning of the season, do you start him because Marshawn's out? And do you, do you try to like, just get a taste of what he could be like? Well, you got a taste of what he could and couldn't do in preseason. So they got a decent enough look at him in preseason um, and just didn't feel ready. Like he was ready to, to come factor in at the NHL level. So, um, I think what, and at the time we were saying, you know, you know what, I would like to see him just, just out of curiosity, just see what he looks like on a line with, you know, Bergeron or whatever, like set him up for success um, and see what that looks like. So um, would I like to see him just because I'm pure curiosity, how that would look? Yes. But at the same time, you really just hope the Bruins stay healthy and that, um, you know, you, I guess you just don't need him um, and you don't really have a spot for him. So um, we also will probably at some point um, later in the season, talk to Mark Diver again. Um, we almost had him on again back when the Mitchell Miller stuff was going on because he was one of the few people that actually talked to Mitchell Miller um, when he was briefly in Providence. Um, but I'm sure we'll have Mark Diver on who knows everything Providence Bruins. So. Yeah. Also, sure. also want to have Fluto on because I had a conversation with Fluto the other day. I was like, "You want to come on the podcast?" He's like, "Yeah, whenever." So Fluto Shinzawa of the Athletic probably will come on with us soon as well. Yep, definitely. Um, 
I don't know if you had anything else, Bridget. The one last thing that I was going to bring up and I mean, do it quickly is the the whole Zidane Chara Kevin oh, yeah. Diexa thing that has surfaced over the past week where uh, Chara was on uh, Julian Edelman's podcast and they're talking about the 2011 Stanley Cup final. And Chara said, at first he said, we saw, and then lit, like in the same answer kind of changed it to like, we heard that when the Canucks came to Boston leading that series 2-0 after winning the first two games in Vancouver, that they were practicing their Stanley Cup celebrations on the Garden Ice and like how they were going to hand it off and stuff. And so Chara said like, you know, basically like, we're like, well, fuck this. Like, we're not going to let that happen. And um, Kevin Bieksa I'm sure probably other Canucks players too, but Kevin Bieksa most publicly has been big mad about this. And he has been like popping up all over the place, including on hockey night. I mean, he's on the like Sportsnet panel anyways, or whatever, but on hockey night in Canada on Saturday, um, like going into great detail about how impossible this was and how someone would have seen it. And, you know, everything was on camera and reporters were, had access to every practice during the finals. And it, like, on the one hand, like, yeah, he he's right. Like everything was open to the media. So someone probably, probably would have seen would it. Have said it, but like, it, he gets so worked up and I'm just like, I don't really understand. Like, this isn't really that big of a deal. Like you, you can just say it didn't happen. I don't know, you know, how he heard that, but like, to me, what probably happened here is, and we've seen this in other sports. It happens all the time. Is like someone starts a rumor to kind of get guys a little more motivated, you know, get under Pumped their the skin a little. So it's like someone, you know, in the Bruins organization probably like told us to like one or two players and then they spread it. And it's like, it, it doesn't even matter if it actually happened or not. It's like, once you get players thinking that it did, they have that extra chip on their shoulder. And like, yeah. That's, well, that was the whole thing for. with it. that whole that whole series was the the pumping your tires. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you remember the the Tim Thomas and uh, uh, it, it was the goalies were going at it in the media, and it was just there was a lot of gamesmanship in that way, and like bulletin board material. Nathan Horton bringing the Garden Ice, ice to Vancouver yep. and Port. It's like all those little Burrows things where it's like chomping on Bergeron's finger. <laughs> Yeah, like all those little things where it's like, all right, like obviously none of this actually makes a difference when you're playing hockey and when you're playing the game, but it's like, I don't know, the, the pro athletes can be weird. Like you, you just you get one of those something like that, you get it into their head, and and it gives them like a little extra something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that I'm whole cur- like Luongo was like involved in a bunch of like comments and stuff and press conferences i remember oh yeah it was now it's all coming back to me (laughs) Um, and like i when i wrote this up for for a blog like i pointed out like bill belichick famously did this in 2004 before the super bowl against the eagles during like the i think it was like the night before during the team meeting at the hotel he takes like a piece of paper and he's going over the eagles Super Bowl parade plans. And he's saying, like, it goes up this street and then it's going to turn here. And he's like, by the way, it starts at 11 a.m. on Monday if you guys want to, or Tuesday or whenever it was, if you guys want to go. And it's like, 
I have no one has any idea if like <laughs> Philadelphia had actually planned out the whole Super Bowl parade. Like Belichick could have just written down like directions through the city of Philadelphia and like <laughs> stood up there and it wouldn't have mattered because it was like all, all he's trying to do is get his players to be like, Oh my God, they think they're going to win. They're already planning their parade. Like that, it's that kind of thing. And it's like, uh, but for BX to get like so worked up over, it's like, I don't like, calm down, dude. Like it, it was, it's 11 years ago. Like, I don't think anyone <laughs> really thinks that like that happens, but whatever. Now they still beefing, still beefing yeah. all this time later. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, no, that that's one that I hadn't heard. So I, I might I might go back and listen to th- that interview. That I mean, that sounds entertaining to me. So I might I might go yeah. back and watch that podcast. Well, and, and you get like it's also good because you get like a little bit of a looser chara because he's you know yeah Edelman. So like like you know I said that he was like fuck this like he actually drops an f bomb which like you usually don't hear from Zidane Chara. I'm no. sure you hear plenty on the ice like. He's no no stranger to it on the ice, but like in interviews, you always get you know kind of like the soft spoken Chara. So yeah, no, and I brought this up to you as well. It's it's kind of weird to see like the former Bruins just like out and about, like still like in the area, still connected to other Boston athletes and and different things. And I was told that Tukaras showed up somewhere and played drums this weekend uh, somewhere in Boston. <laughs> I guess he just shows up and plays drums places now. Yeah, that's that's his second career. He's yeah, yeah he's, he's a drummer. Gonna, he's just gonna be gig drummer. Prestige worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was that was I was like, I can't imagine just going to a bar and just like turning around and just like the live music is just Tuka playing the drums. <laughs> anyway, they're they're still here. They're still, even though they're not from Boston originally they still they still live around here um have houses around here and you know, still see them every once in a while they're hard to miss too if you see Chara you're like oh yeah that's Chara <laughs> yeah he had uh he had his kids at a game like I don't know, a couple weeks ago whatever they were right down on the glass for warm-ups like in the in the spot where Razor usually is for his Nesson hits um but yeah they're just like hanging out on the glass watching warm-ups yeah, it, it's it's and then we saw a lot of them come back and do that alumni game. Yep. That was was it a week ago? Which by the way, they used to do the alumni game. I don't think they're doing it this time cuz I think that this counts as it, but back when the, the this was for the Winter Classic, right? So, um the last Winter Classic the Bruins had was the Montreal one at Gillette, and they played legitimately like they had all of their alumni play on the ice at Gillette and it was apparently I was told by my my color commentator Kaylee Fracken who played played with the the Boston Pride that day the day that Denna Lang actually um got paralyzed and she was out there for that she was telling me that the ice was just shit and like she was surprised more people didn't get hurt so they had all like some of these much older guys just out there like playing on crappy ice and i don't know actually i found that game more entertaining than the bruins winter classic game because they got murdered by montreal and they didn't have Marshawn because he was suspended and it was so cold that we even at our tailgate our fire wouldn't heat up our our kebabs <laughs> so it was just like cold steak and i was like this is not what i was planning for this but this time we're going to be in the press box, Scott. So we don't yeah, have to worry we, about um, our kebabs getting warm. 
it wasn't a winter classic, but one of the frozen Fenways um, with all the college hockey games, we had a media game at Fenway one year and, and it, it had like rained that morning. It was like a kind of warm day and the ice was like borderline slush. Like it, it was awful, but it was like, well, how many times are we going to get a chance to play at Fenway? So you just like went out there. It was like, you know, half the passes were just stopping in the water. <laughs> like it, it sucked for hockey, but it was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to skate at Fenway again. So like suck it up and, and do yeah, our are they having Are they having one this year? Cause I, I, I hope so, but I haven't heard anything yet. Do I get the invite? I'll have to put my yeah. knee brace back on mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my very sexy knee brace that I have to wear. <laughs> If I want to play hockey. Uh, anyway, I'm going to hopefully we're on the same team, but if not, I'm going to kick your ass. Um, yeah, good luck. See if we can get Brian too. <laughs> Brian would but probably it, actually be good. Like, yeah, Brian, Brian is good. Yeah, Brian, actually, <laughs> Brian actually plays in coaches. Like, yes, he does. I, I, half, like, I would say 95% of like, the media people who are out there could like barely skate. So it was not, it was not pretty hockey. No. Hey. We'll report back on that. We'll do a whole pod about it if it happens. Anyway, we went long again. Um, so I think that's going to do it unless you have anything else, Scott. Nope, all good. All right. Well, hopefully we get Brian back for next week uh, or for next podcast, which we'll probably – are we doing one after the Tuesday game and then after the Thursday game? or So the, the Bruins uh, – Yeah, probably. I so the Bruins Tuesday night at home against the Islanders – and Thursday night at home against LA. So we'll be recording after both of those. And then Saturday they have um, a one o'clock game against Columbus. Um, they're in a five game homestand right now. So, or they're about to start a five game homestand. So we will be back with you after Tuesday's game then. So thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you.